This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Blue Talks. Much to my parents' chagrin, I quit college, my small Canadian town college when I was 20, and I hopped on my Uncle Phil's 18-wheeler semi on his monthly route down to California. I was going to make it in Hollywood. I failed. But I was brave enough and I was talented enough, I just didn't have that working visa. But I heard there were opportunities in Japan. Oh yes, there were opportunities in Japan with fishnets, uh, false eyelashes, G-strings, and not much else. <laughs> so there I was on the stage, and all these drunk, tattooed, fingerless Yakuza mafia would sit around the stage in their little kimono bathrobes with their weenies hanging out, completely inebriated by uh, and bedazzled by our bodies as we were dancing to Madonna's Vogue. And I was horrified, but I was also intrigued. What was this about sexual power? And I was very insecure with all the other dancers from the Moulin Rouge or the Lido in Paris. You see, for me, my mom didn't give me the talk until I was about 13 years old. And she took me out to the nicest restaurant in town. But she downed a glass of wine in one gulp, turned it over on the white uh, linen tablecloth and said, this is your vagina. And this very shocking, sterile conversation, she explained to me how babies were made. And she explained to me how, you know, I could get pregnant. But she didn't explain anything about the power and the pleasure and the perception of the female body. And so this perception though, she did give me presents. I remember all the way back when I was three years old, it was Christmas and I got uh, um, a Fisher-Price record player and I got Fisher-Price little people and I put them on the record player and I put them on low and there she was on the couch, like liquid love lounging on the couch, her, her pink velour, a house coat and her horn rim glasses and her scarf and her hair and drinking coffee out of her china latte mug. She was right there present with me. And you turn it on low and they'd wobble. You turn it on medium and the little people on the record player would wobble even more. And then I'd turn it on high and these little Fisher Price people would fly across the room and I thought it was so clever. And she was so present. And I would just feel so approved of her in her gaze, I felt magical in her gaze. But back in Japan, I didn't feel very magical in my own gaze. I was really very insecure. I would look in the mirror and I would compare myself to all the other dancers and models and I was never thin enough and never beautiful enough. And there's this uh, misconception that models or dancers are so confident, but quite the opposite. 
All of my fellow dancers were anorexic, bulimic, heroin addicts. And so in between shows, I would backpack through Southeast Asia. And I would go to this little island called Koh Phangan in Thailand. And I would rent a $3 a night hut on the beach. And I would dance all night to the full moon parties, raging. But by day, I would face my fears. And I would say, you know what, I just want to stop comparing myself to other women. And I just want to feel safe in a man's gaze. And so I purposefully triggered my insecurities and I wore nothing but a floss G-string and I would walk up and down, up and down that beach every day. I was committed to learning how to feel at peace in my skin. But most of the days I just sobbed until one day I just gave up, defeated. And as I turned around to walk back to my little $3 hut, the, the ground, it just fell out from underneath me. There was no more gravity. I became one with the droplets of water and the waves. I became one with the rays of sunshine. I became one with the waves and every person I looked at was my best friend. And I said, oh, you're so sacred body. Hi. I had this moment of total oneness with my body. The last time I remember feeling that free in my body, I was about four years old in the living room. You know, those big old record players. I was blaring, Jesus Christ, superstar, like the, the musical. And I was spinning like a little Sufi dancer all around the ottoman. And I was in bliss. And I guess I didn't hear my dad say, quiet down, because he expressed his emotions instead with a fist through the, the drywall. And I learned to be very hypervigilant and to be very aware of the slightest change or nuance in energy, which today serves me very well as a masterful intimacy coach. But at the time, it was a very terrifying way to live. This perception that I developed, I remember being 16 years old and having this strange urge out at the lake at our cabin to sit down on these steps and look at the beach while I was waiting for my friends, James and Carlene, to arrive. And James, uh, Carlene came down the stairs first. I'm like, hi. And she said, James is dead. And I said, oh, for God's sake, stop with your jokes until I saw her parents walk down the stairs. And I said, oh shit, this is real. And I ran into the house and I said, mom, dad, James is dead. And they dropped everything in their hands. And so I ran up the stairs, there was a, a two-lane highway right beside the cabin, and I just kept running, and I was looking at the top of the, of the trees, and I just kept screaming, no, if I screamed no long enough, it wouldn't be real. And I could hear Carlene saying to drivers as they were screeching around me, there's been a death. And the next thing I know, I turn around on this yellow line, and there's my dad, the drunk, the abuser, the one I was terrified of coming towards me, the one I didn't trust, coming towards me. And what he did is he took my shoulders and he shook me and he goes, look, if this is it, if this is what life is, let's get off. You are gonna see your friend again. We live forever. My drug addicted dad was spiritual. And he took me off the highway. And then my friends, my neighbors, they took me bike riding that night down to the provincial park to try to put me in a better mood. And as we were coming home that night, it was a clear blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. And as we came down and I could see my cabin, there were two rainbows. 
right over my cabin and I knew it was a sign from James and it was a choice. I could either be bitter, hate God forever and close my heart or I could be grateful that I'd spent time with my friend and I could learn somehow to keep my heart open and keep going. I was tested with keeping my heart open when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. It was about three days before her death and we were in the hospital and she had lost consciousness a long time ago. And I was sitting there and all of a sudden she sat right up and she said, so how do you die? And I said, I think you wait for the angels to come mom when you're ready. And she goes, well, I'm ready. And she started to get out of bed, but she had a catheter and she had a morphine drip. And I said, no, no, mom, sit down. And then this very strange voice said, no. And she bit down on my hand, through the skin, through the muscles. Her teeth were through my bones in my hand. And I was screaming and she was screaming. And the nurses came in, Mrs. Pratt, Mrs. Pratt, this is your daughter. No, it's not. Get her out of here. And so I ended up in the ER with stitches. But I got to say, I still covet that scar. Later that night, she lost consciousness again. And I laid beside her in a cot. And I watched over her. And I had to put the earplugs in because she was stopping breathing and then she'd start breathing again. And then in the morning, the nurses came in and they were saying something. And I, I took out the earplugs and they were saying, she's dead. <laughs> yes, I'll be out by noon. Okay. But this was my moment. This was my moment. And I'm looking at her and she's not there. And I said, one potato, two potato, just open my heart, three potato, four. And then all of a sudden, she was everywhere. Just like that moment in Thailand on the beach. She was everywhere. And then the next week was my sister's wedding. Poor thing. We decided that mom was on vacation and we just drank a lot. And I got pregnant. And so nine months later, there I was giving birth. And my baby is looking at me for the first time. And it's another one of those moments. Open your heart, Alana. This is bliss. Keep your heart open. One potato, two potato. There's this miracle. Three potato, four. And then, oh shit, how do you keep this thing alive? I was just covered with, with fear. And it really was an oh shit moment because the truth is I had gotten married when I heard that mom was dying because I was losing my best friend. I didn't know what else to do. And I thought, you know, a man is a plan. <laughs> mom and a man and a baby is a plan. And, and what happened was I divorced him after a year. He turned out to be a very angry man because my closed heart, of course, attracted another closed heart. And so it didn't work. And within one year, I was a single motherless mom. But then he, from his point of view, I had used him. I had manipulated him. I had lied to him. I'd humiliated him. And he took revenge. And for the next 12 years, it was a horrendous custody battle where I lost my home and I lost my savings and I went into a quarter of a million dollars of legal debt. But at least my son loved me. That is until he arrived the day, not my custodial day, and his dad was in the driveway and he came in the front door and he declared so that everybody could hear, I'm living with dad and don't try to stop me. And he took all his things, even the little bear since he was one year old. 
And when he left, I just crumpled to the cold marble floor and there were no more tears because I'd lost not everything, but everyone that was dear to me. But who I'd really lost was me. And so I said to my staff, okay, I need you to find a cabin in the middle of nowhere. I am going to schedule my nervous breakdowns from Friday to Sunday. I'm gonna work from Monday to Thursday. And I sat there in this A-frame hotel or a cabin, and I learned to love and forgive myself. And what I discovered there was that even if everybody, you know, defriended me, unfriended me on Facebook, even if my son never called again, and to this day he still hasn't, and even if I die alone, I love and accept myself. And that moment reminded me of when I left my first husband. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He was a multimillionaire. You know, he met me as a dancer in Tokyo when we moved to New York, and I graduated cum laude from Columbia University. I had all the things, but I would get in trouble for everything. I couldn't even cut a vegetable right without getting in trouble. And the day I said, I'm done. I'm sorry, I'm leaving. He said, well, what you gonna do? You don't even have a visa to work here in the US, right? He goes, you need me. I said, no, I don't. I'll figure it out. And the next day, my green card arrived in the mail. And so whenever I slow down to feel, I see a heart. I see the pain of, of or the path of pain, or I see the path of bliss, but they both lead to this same place, truth. And I'm invited to speak that truth and I'm invited to live that truth. And that truth keeps evolving me in this intimate communion with life itself, having its way with me. And so in order to evolve, we need to feel people. In order to feel, we need to be in our body. In order to be in our body, we gotta go all the way into our heart. And in order to be in our heart, we need to be brave. So I invite you right now, two hands, take a breath with me. Place those hands on your heart. Commit to having your own back, your own heart's back in the face of anything. Because this is the only moment we got in this mystery together, this one moment present, you and me right here, right now. And I invite you to let yourself feel life aching to know itself as you. And I invite you, even though your heart may be battered and bruised and broken, it's also brave. So take another breath for me and open your hands and splay that heart wide open and let life know itself as you because you are glorious. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.